Good morning, everybody. Um, I take it you all can hear me. I can see myself. We're good to go. Um, like Ty was saying, I hope you all got some outlines. If you don't have some paper in front of you, you've got a phone or something you can take some notes on, maybe your journal. Um, but a pen, uh, if where you're at, there's some pens. That would be great. You can write things down. If I was going to compare myself to like a certain kind of teacher, I don't always stick to the outline, okay? Uh, there's, there's a lot of verses we might get to, and verses from God's Word are, uh, I hope you guys can take those down, because God's Word is full of life, and life has power to change us. It has power to take us on from where we are uh, somewhere different. So uh, it's great to see you all. Some of you guys are in living rooms. Some of you guys are bunk beds, different places. Um, if, you, if you fall asleep at any time, because it's just so comfortable where you are, um, I hope you find my voice soothing, and I'm just so glad you, you're still here with us, and I hope you get, you get something. If you get one word this whole weekend from Jesus, uh, the whole weekend was worth it. It was worth us setting up these lights and these cameras, me wearing this tie. It was just worth it, okay? Um, I want to say I consider it just an absolute privilege uh, to be here speaking with you all here in the mountains. From the Gospel of John, okay? Um, it's just an absolute privilege. I can't even express it. The Gospel of John is where I, I was raised as a Christian, if you will. Um, I grew up, I grew up Christian, and um, I just, <clears throat> there was a point during my teenage years, I realized there's a certain standard of the Christian life that I'm not hitting, and I don't know if I have hit it, and I don't think I ever will. And I think I've veered too far off the other way. And I said, well, I know the Christian life is real. It's out there, but it's not for me. Um, I can't, I can't do it. Um, when I was 20, I was in college. I was a college athlete. I was pursuing all sorts of stuff. And there was this one night after a big game, I felt so empty. We had this great victory. Um, I went back to my dorm room and just felt so empty sitting there all alone after such a good game. I played well, and I cried out, which I had never done. I said, Lord, if you're real, I, I need to know if there's meaning to life. Okay, later that year, you know what happened? Uh, through an arrangement of God, I met some brothers in the Lord. And this one older brother I met at like a college meeting, he kind of took me under his wing. He began taking me. He said, Josh, let's go to Chili's. Uh, let's grab a burger. And that became a thing every Thursday night at 10 p.m., for a whole year, we go to Chili's. Uh, we get the fajitas, we get the baby back ribs, get the nachos, and then we open the Bible and we get into where we got into John. And it was, it was just healing to me. It was, it was something, it was mind blowing. It was something I've never heard. There was another brother who joined me and some of our friends started coming. And week by week, we were hearing that Christ is not a religion. He doesn't give us a standard to come up to. But when God in the gospel of John became incarnate as a man, he comes down to us. He condescends. He comes down as God in the flesh. And he says, in him was life. He says, I am the life. And I have come to give you Zoe life abundantly. That's what he's doing. And it's not, it's not a, some religion we need to conform to, but it's a life that we need to receive. Um, this this, it was, 
my friends, my, some of my high school teammates and friends and some of this other brother's coworkers started joining us and every week we'd be going through the cases and John like, man, that's amazing. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. I didn't know this. I wish someone told me before. And every week we're like, we just covered John five. Next week's going to be John six. We look at each other. I don't even know what John six is about, but we got to get all our friends there to hear it. The word is being ministered. Our lives are being changed because Christ is life. And God wants something in this universe. He wants something. He wants a building. And the way he gets it is life. Not by you being good. Not by me meeting a standard. Not just me waiting to, to, to improve and then take the blood when I fail until I go to heaven. But the book of John is full of life and building. You know, life, I love that Jesus says it's life in this gospel. Because life points and implies that he wants to be experienced by us. Right now, I don't understand all the chemical and biological, physiological processes going on. I have my endocrine system, my nervous system, my digestive system going on right now, and I don't understand them all, and I didn't tell him what to do, but I'm alive, and there's things happening because life is full of activity, okay? And beyond my understanding, I'm experiencing it right now. Um, you know, I studied biology in college. It always got me every semester. I opened my textbook and the first page of every biology textbook, if you have one, go check it out. It says, biology <clears throat> is the study of physical life. Then the next sentence always has a disclaimer like this. We don't exactly know where life originated or where it came from or what it is, but we're gonna tell you about it. Or something like, scientists are very close to discovering the origin of life and what it is and why it's here. So basically saying we're the foremost leading experts in the world on this subject and we don't have any clue about it. <laughs> Science doesn't tell us why there is life or where it came from, but the book of John does. Hallelujah, we're, we can be here. Okay, um, yeah, actually, you know, later in college I did research. I did it in uh, stem cells that travel through the spinal cord of uh, developing embryos. And the stem cells at certain points, they come out. They just know where to travel to and what kind of cells to become. They become skin cells and bone cells and blood cells and organ cells. And under a microscope, there's just billions of cells going every which direction. They know what to do and where to go. And I asked my professor, how do they know that? What's driving this? And my professor said, no one knows. And we probably can't even answer that. It's, we're just studying, we're trying to learn <laughs> just the, the bittiest understanding of it. So guys, Christ is life pointing that he wants not only to be understood by us, but experienced by us. That's why we have these nine cases. This is the way that God can get his house. Okay. This is the only way God can get his house through God as life meeting our every single need. So today we're coming to <clears throat> this morning, we're coming to the fourth case, and it's John chapter 5, and this is so good. It, it might not be one of the most well-known cases, but it's so indicative of the times and so representative of you and I in today's age, and if we don't see what's here, there will be a great missing on our behalf, okay? I hope, I hope we all get a word this morning from the Lord. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and read the verses. Just It's the first nine verses of chapter five. And I want to just say, so there's two, two, two lanes we're hitting today. One, the inadequacy 
of religion. Okay, did you hear that? The inadequacy of law-keeping religion. That's the first seven verses. The last two, verse 8 and 9, covers the sufficiency of the Son's life-giving. Inadequacy and sufficiency. Okay, let's read. All right, starting in verse 1. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down from time to time in the pool and stirred up the water. The first then to step in after the stirring up of the water was made well of whatever disease he was being held by. And a certain man was there who had been there 38 years in his sickness. When Jesus saw this one lying there, and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your mat and walk. And immediately the man became well and he took up his mat and walked. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Okay, so what's going on here? I always thought it's a little unusual. The, some of the other cases, it's very easy to see. Oh, thirst. Okay. Okay, she's a sinner. Okay, Nicodemus is good. What is going on in this chapter of John 5 uh, with the angel and the stirring up? Um, what we need to see here is there's a scene, um, and it's a religious scene being presented to show a particular weakness. This, this man there is you and I, he's impotent, meaning he lacks strength, has weakness, no power of life to do anything that he's called upon for. Um, and this impotent man represents us, but not just in his impotence, but in this religious system, which because we've been bitten by sin and Satan, in our flesh, we're very prone to gravitate towards. Okay, so um, this, this whole chapter, there's all the things of the Judaistic religion. There's just chapter five, we have the holy city, we got the holy temple, we got the holy feast, we have the holy Sabbath, we have the angels who are the mediators of the law, we have Moses who wrote the law, and we have the holy scriptures. Okay, so it's, uh, this is Judaism, and it's even the best religion based on things that God gave. But did God give man a religion? Okay, let's define religion. Now, the pen may come in handy. Religion, <clears throat> which is a product of human invention, is to worship God and behave ourselves without Christ. It's to worship God and behave ourselves without Christ as life. Except on your own, by your own self-effort, try to come up to a standard. And God never gave his people a religion. In the Old Testament, we could say he gave them his word. He gave them, a, he gave them a way to contact him. And he gave them the promise and prophecy that the Messiah was coming as salvation and to restore the earth. Um, but he didn't give them a religion, a religious system. But the people, they took different rituals, different rules. And this human invention arose of, you have to do this. Um, you have to do this to, to please God and satisfy him. Um, this is religion. There's, there's, and it, 
<laughs> even Christianity can be a religion to us. Let me tell you, uh, I, when I was in uh, Europe as a, doing a Christian service program there, uh, Christians serving with Christians, helping Muslim refugees, and a lot of them became uh, believers in Christ, I would talk with them and I'd say, so did you love God before? And it was always love God. I never knew God. I, how can you love someone you don't know? Um, we, we had this idea of God and we, we, we feared God for sure. And it was all based that when we meet God, almighty Allah, we would be 51% good in our deeds, at least 51%. And so there's just this religious thought ingrained in all of us. And we should have think just because we have the Holy scriptures and we have Christianity that we're not prone to, uh, <laughs> being religious and stuck as an impotent man in the system, okay? Um, the thing about religion, underline all religions, even as a Christian, we can fall into it. It requires something. You can get the healing. You can, you can be, you can be, it's good and it's noble, but it requires something based on your self-effort, okay? But we're going to look at the inadequacy. Brothers and sisters, religion and law-keeping is not adequate, not enough. Why? Galatians 3.21 says, for if a law which was given, which could give life, then righteousness would be of the law. Um, that means the law is a set of rules. It can't give life. They're good rules, but they can't give life. Uh, they can give demand, but they can't give any supply. Law keeping keeps us in pure demand with zero supply. It's, and in God's eyes in this chapter, he even calls that impotent man a dead man. In God's eyes, we're not only weak, but we're dead. You ever put a, would you ever put a basketball in the hands of a corpse at the free throw line for a game winning free throw and be like, it's 15 feet, just do your best. <laughs> it's impossible. Um, this, is, this is the inadequacy of the law. It's asking people who are unable and it doesn't give you any supply to do it. Um, so the other reason, uh, number two, the impossibility to keep the law is because of our, our impotence. So Romans 8, 3, that which the law, hear this, could not do, okay? The law cannot do something. It could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Like I said, we got the bug in our flesh and because the law relied upon man's effort in their flesh, the law was weak. It wasn't able. It can't fulfill God's purpose. You're, you're reaching all your standards or other standards for you can't please God or fulfill his purpose. Um, yeah, so what does it look like um, to be impotent? Because um, we, we need to paint this picture so we can all taste it and be like, oh yeah, I know, I know. I, that's right. We do have that. Romans 7, Paul, there's a whole chapter you should read it sometime. Paul outlines this experience of live, of being in the flesh, wanting to please God, but not being able to. And I love the way he boils it down to these two phrases. Basically, what I want to do and know I need to do, I can't do. And what I don't want to do and want to not do, I find myself practicing that. Okay, so that in this chapter five, there's this man at this, he knows exactly what he needs to do. Angel comes down, get in the pool. That's it. But he can't do it. Okay, do you see the, the dilemma? Um, 
<clears throat> and it's, it's, it's really the dilemma that we're in. We're just impotent. Are there things that we know we should do that we just can't do? Or what about, how about, uh, we know we should read the Bible. We should know we should study it. We know we should muse on it. We know we should memorize it and learn it and be able to teach it and speak it and be filled with God's word. How about we know we should uh, pray often, regular, uh, intercede, fight for God's interests. Uh, we know we should shepherd others. We know we should preach the gospel. You know, it's been coming out, our weakness. Oh man, when it's time to preach the gospel, impotence comes. Uh, <laughs> and all these things, we know we need to live an overcoming life. And okay, there's not only those things that we know we need to do. What about all the things we don't want to do? And I want to just say, as the, your fellow man there lying there at the bank in John 5, hasn't the pandemic just exacerbated all these struggles of things that we don't want to do? Um, you know, we, we don't want to be isolated. Um, and I, I know there's just young people, there's just more um, gravitation toward just addictions, things to cope things to, to appease and get by. There's sinful indulgence digitally with lusts, um, you know, digital intake and consuming. Uh, there's, there's substances, there's vaping, there's alcohol, there's, you know, we, we have this addictive, impotent nature. I, I did it, but Lord, oh, I feel so bad. I feel so empty. I'm never gonna do that again. And uh, we're impotent to not do it again. Because uh, that's what we are in the flesh. And I can just say as fellow brothers, sisters in Christ, these experiences aren't foreign to us. We know what it's like to be impotent because it's us. Um, so just we're with you and know this. Okay, I want to ask, do you think Christ is condemning you? Do you think Christ condemns you for the things, you know, for your weakness? Things we do that we don't want to do. Okay, the rest of that verse, Romans 8.3, that answers the question. So the, the law was weak through the flesh. So what did God do? God sending his own son, the likeness of the flesh of sin. And concerning sin, what did he do? He condemned sin in the flesh. He went straight to the culprit. Hey, it's not, not these, 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 these weak ones. They're weak because of this culprit. Sin in the flesh. That's you, Satan. And on the cross, God condemned sin in Jesus' flesh. Hallelujah. That means all condemnation was shifted to one person. God condemned him. So when we're condemned, ah, that's, not, that's not ours. That's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. That belongs to the devil. Romans 8.1 says that there is now then no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't want to be law keepers, brothers. This is when we're in the law and our law keeping and our standards, there's condemnation. There's plenty of it. Okay. Thank you, Lord. You take away the demands and you, you supply us to meet every demand. Um, thank the Lord. Um, okay. So this chapter, it exposes our condition. And our condition is not just that we're weak. I think we all realize we're fragile. We're weak. Oh, I'm not that strong. We all realize it, but it's 
the condition in this chapter, it mentions it in the verses, this condition, he's waiting, he's lying there. He'd been a long time, 38 years in that condition. It's not just that we're weak. It's that we're weak and we still want to keep the law by ourselves. All right. Um, religion, it's, it's in our blood, it's in our fallen condition, and this is the cause of impotence. But we need to see the position of the law in God's purpose and in his economy. It's, it's, it's really encouraging. And uh, the law was never the goal. I'm going to read this little part. Um, this is from an exposition on the function of the law. Okay. All the Bible readers and all those who understand God's will know what God did not give us, that God did not give us the law with the intention that we keep it. The law was not meant for us to keep, but for us to break. So Romans 5.20 says the law came in alongside, not as the main purpose, but alongside to point out our transgressions. God gave us the law so that we would transgress against it. This may be the first time for many of you to hear such a word, and you may feel that it is strange. Is it, is it strange for some of you? God has known all along that you have sin. God knows this, but you yourself do not know this. Therefore, God has given you the law to transgress so that you will know about yourself. God knows that you are no good, but you think that you are fine. Therefore, God has given the law after you transgress against it once, twice, three times, a hundred times, you will say <clears throat> that you have sinned. Salvation will not come to you until then. Only when you admit that you do not have a way that it is impossible for you to go on conducting yourself in such a way will you be willing to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Only then will you be willing to receive God's grace. Isn't that good? <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's maybe new to someone to hear, to hear something like that. So God knows what, he, what we are, and he's not surprised by what you are. He's not surprised by your, your weakness. Um, the problem is that we're not clear. So you remember when Moses was called to serve God? Do you know what G, uh, God had him do? Jehovah said, Moses, take your hand, open your tunic, put it in your tunic. Now pull it out. You know what it was? Leprous, skin falling off, a leprous, rotting hand. <laughs> Moses was shocked. God wasn't. He said, Moses, I want you to know what you are. You're rotting flesh. No good. Okay? In yourself, but in my sufficiency, you're more than enough. All right? Um, do you know what, uh, do you guys know what a New Testament baptism is? A view, this view on New Testament baptism, you know, when, when we put people in the water for them to follow Jesus, it's this. It's, it's baptism in the New Testament is you agreeing with and acknowledging God's estimation of you. It's saying, I realize I'm good for nothing but death and burial. I'm just flesh. I can't please God. I surrender. I, I get into the water. I get into Christ's death. But not only that, in Christ, I get into his, in Christ, into his resurrection, arise anew in newness of life and resurrection to walk a life worthy of God's calling. How about that? Baptism is an acknowledgement and agreement with how God esteems us. And then we get into him and take all that he is. It's a surrender. Don't you love that? Okay. So you may be, you may be asking, wait a second. I mean, law keeping, I don't even know all the 10 commandments by heart. I'm not like every day, like today was a good day, Lord. I didn't kill anyone. I didn't commit adultery. 
I think I was pretty good. <clears throat> okay, so we have the law, which is like the moral commandments, but there's also just the principle of the law. You see it in Galatians, Hebrews. There's this principle of law and it's standards. Standards that we have in a way that we're like, we need to do this to please God or please ourselves. Um, and I wanna just say this because perhaps this generation needs this word more than any previous generation. Why? Because our generation is more aware of our failures and others' successes than any previous generation. Social media, Instagram, you're immediately aware of your shortness and what you should be doing to get, get to a, another standard. And man, and even spiritually, and not only, man, they're, they're better than me in school. Listen, when, when they speak about the Bible, everyone listens. It's so eloquent. Man, when they pray, they just know how to pray. I can never do that. And we disqualify ourselves. Why? Because we have some religious standard in our blood. And we just get these standards from all, everything we take in. And we just think, not enough. Or we think, man, I can do that. And we think, we think we're either really good or really bad. And the, the point is neither. We need to be crucified with Christ and live with him and have Christ as life. Um, so these self-made laws, I hope we could all, as they come up again and again, when we're with the Lord, say, Lord, I acknowledge that I, I have this standard. I want to put this back onto my spiritual resume. And there are things I've done. I've read the Bible a number of times. I've saved some people. But Lord, I want to crumple up my spiritual resume and toss it in the can because that's not what qualifies me to come to you. Even the longer you're a Christian, the longer your spiritual resume is, it won't be your qualification. All right. We, we want to taste this cruel and cursed 38 years. That's such a long time. Like, why that long? I hope it's not that long for any of us. I pray that. So 38 years, well, that's, that's a number comes up in the Bible a few times. Deuteronomy 2, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, there was 38 years in Deuteronomy 2 that they were in the wilderness before crossing Kadesh Barnea toward the good land. 38 years, what should have been a two or three week journey. Why was it 38 years? Because they thought they could do it on their own. Just like us, like, like idiots. Like, oh, like me. That's right. Lord Jesus, show me that you want to give me Christ as life and you want to give me another life to reach your goal. Okay, this is the way uh, God wants to take. Don't wait. You know who likes to wait? The, the devil. His, his whole strategy, his playbook, delay. How can we delay? How can we make the Christians passive and just wait there at that pool of water? Um, we need to learn this principle that could change our life. Um, there's this famous Christian hymn, just as I am brothers and sisters. It's just as we are that we come to God. It's not after I read my chapter for the day, then I can come to the Lord after I haven't done that sin for a few weeks, then I can share something in the meeting just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot and to thee whose blood that cleanses each spot. Oh, Lamb of God, I come, I come. The Lamb of God in John chapter 1, verse 29, is our basis for every other chapter of the book of John to partake of Christ as life. It's never another basis. It's every day, every time I come to the Lord, it's the Lamb of God. Lord, it's through your blood. I've been a Christian for 25 years now, Lord, but it's through your blood. Nothing's changed. 
no good have I beyond you. Get his life. And then we're not just making a mistake and taking the blood, not just failing and taking the blood, but we're taking the blood and getting Christ as life, okay? Which can change us and build us. Um, so don't wait, don't, don't hold on. All right, um, so this next verse in the outline, I actually didn't put it on the outline. See, now, now you need to have a pen or a pencil. Um, after one and two under A, write number, write three, okay? Three, period. And write, held beneath the curse of the law. Held beneath the curse of the law. And the scripture verse is this, Galatians 3, 13 which says Christ has redeemed us out of the curse of the law, having become a curse on our behalf. We might think we were just redeemed from our sins. The way God sees it, he redeemed us out of the curse of the law. And Christ became a curse on the cross. Isaiah 53, four says he bore all our sicknesses and he was actually made a curse on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and what's this curse look like? What is it? What is it? What is the curse of the law? You're like, am I cursed? We all, we all are in this curse. This curse is a 38 year long curse that we taste and experience much too often. The devil wants to keep us in this 38 years of delaying. Curse is when you're so close to the fountain, you're inches away from the fountain of healing. You know, all you need to do is get in. If I just get in, I'll be healed. You know exactly what you need to do. If I just read my Bible, if I just grow in life, if I just overcome, but I can't, but I can't. That is the curse of the law. And if we don't get Christ's life, we're cursed. I had an appointment with a brother a while back and he just opened to me. He goes, the reason I even wanna to go to Bible school one day is so I can meet this standard set by others. And I just looked at him frankly, I said, brother, you are destined for a life of misery. And a Christian life that is so just full of cycles of defeat and you'll have to hide it. You might have to hide it. And I was, just, and I went, and it wasn't like speaking down to him because I was speaking and with tears. I was able to say, cause I know I've been in those 38 years. I know what it's like to be so close and be cursed. Christ doesn't ask us to do something. What does he do? Uh, what does Christ do? Uh, he comes to us as the fountain. He doesn't say, okay, it's not a fleeting fountain that you can never get to. The fountain comes to us and speaks a word to us. He says, hey, I'm the fountain. You want to get well? He, uh, you know, in John 4, when we believe the fountain is installed into us. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says when we're baptized, we get installed into the fountain. How tight is that? That means you're positioned to drink the one spirit and it's a lot easier. Pretty cool. We're gonna speak some more on baptism later. So I'll just put in a few plugs. Baptism is wonderful. Um, so this fountain is the only sufficient one. Not only are we inadequate, not only is the law inadequate, but when we're ever in it, we're in a cycle of inadequacy ourselves. We'll never be enough. Even if we say on our post on our Instagram, I'm enough. Not if we're in the law, never be enough. But in Christ's sufficiency, we are sufficient. We're up for anything. We can meet anything head on in Christ's sufficiency as life. 
Okay, let's go on to uh, B. And this is awesome. We're looking, these are, okay, the first seven verses are on the inadequacy of the law. These last two verses, eight and nine, are on the sufficiency of the son's life giving. Enlivened by the voice of the living son of God. So verse eight and nine, Jesus said to this man, rise, take up your mat and walk. Um, in verse four, it says he was being held down, uh, being held by, down by this. The Greek word is, it's kataketo, literally down held against the ground. But Jesus, with his enlivening word, said, rise. Rise out of your addiction. Rise out of the curse. Rise out of death and its grip on you. Death didn't hold me. Why should it hold you? Rise. My, my words impart life. And he says, take up your mat. That mat, that besetting sin, that struggle that held you for so long, you take it and you hold it. Now you hold it. This is the authority we have in Christ's life. And then he says, walk. Something you were never able to do before. Walk in a way that pleases God. According to your calling, walk in the body of Christ with Christ as your life supply. Rise, take up your mat and walk. I love this. And so the explanation of what was going on there is here, verses 24 and 25. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. So he who hears my word, Verse 25 says, an hour is coming and it's now when the dead, you impotent man, you're actually dead. But the hour is coming and it's now. The dead will hear my voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. May we be those who hear and live. Brothers and sisters, we need to position ourselves. That's why we have a Bible reading habit in our club. Read the Bible every day. Get under the hearing of God's word. Get into meetings where there's fellowship over God's word and the healing is there, the enlivening. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes out of hearing through the word of Christ. And it might just be one word, rise. Um, during a, a cholera outbreak, an epidemic in the 1800s, this famous pastor and theologian, Charles Spurgeon, he was going around the city praying with all these people as they were dying and losing their loved ones, helping them be saved before they died and helping their family members be saved, praying at funerals. And there was so much death encompassing him. He just couldn't help but be discouraged. And he lost all motivation. And he was walking one day down the city uh, where it was just like a ghost town. And he saw an abandoned shop window and written on the window in shoe polish was a verse of the Bible. And he looked up without barely any strength, he mumbled and he read it. And the quickening spirit struck one word and enlivened him. And he passed out of death into life. And he had the strength of a thousand men and he, was, he joyously carried on his ministry. Um, if we get one word, even each week, even each morning, it's enough. Okay, so how do we get the word? Number two, we need to come to him when we open the word. We need to open the Bible, not just to study, not just to get our bigger brain, more uh, arguments to, to beat out uh, the atheists in our class. We need to come to him. John 5, 39 and 40 say, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. It's not just the message. It's because the message conveys me. It testifies about me. Life is in the sun. 
don't neglect the son. He's saying this to the religious Pharisees who knew the Bible, yet you're not willing to come to me. May we not be those who are not willing. May we be those who are willing, Lord, I don't feel like it. I'm coming based on the blood of the Lamb of God, and I'm coming to you. You know, recently, um, probably during the pandemic, I've just been simplified, especially in the morning when I read the Bible in the morning. I just start calling and saying the Lord's name, Lord Jesus, as I'm just reading real slowly, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, maybe 100, 200 times, because I don't want to divorce the Lord from the Word. Life is when they conjoin and they're one. All right. Um, now we got to say something. Okay, our outline is done, you notice. So I hope you have your pen because we still have some more speaking from the word. Um, maybe the most important critical phrase for us to not be stuck in this 38 year impotence is this phrase in verse seven, when Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? Which is a yes or no question. The man says, sir, I have no one. Okay, that's very telling, very telling. He says, I have no one. We don't want to be the believer that says, in my pursuit of Christ, I have no one else. I'm all alone. I'm isolated. The Christian life is designed by design not to be run alone. It can't. <laughs> We're impotent. Our impotence will set in. Like gravity will weigh down my hands, impotence will weigh in and will fall. So there's a case of another lame paralytic man, but he was different than this man. And I always wondered, why, do, why wouldn't that guy just at the pool just have hire somebody to just push him in? Don't we need a push sometimes from somebody? Okay, so this guy in Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, this paralytic, and they hear that Jesus is at this house, and he gets four of his buddies, and they pick him up on a mat and bring him to the house where Jesus is. And then there's such a big crowd, they can't even get in. So they turn around and go back on this. Hey, let's just go to a party in Jericho. We tried. They don't give up. They persevere, they fight for their brother, and they go up to the rooftop and they vandalize the house and they dig a hole through the clay roof. And Jesus sees this and he says to them, you four, I see you, their faith, and he points to the paralytic, and your sins are forgiven. Their faith, your sins are forgiven. This paralytic, yes, he was weak and paralyzed, but he wasn't alone. He couldn't say, I have no one. He said, I have these four. These, uh, these verses we love to bring up in Seesaw. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Classic verses for Christian companionship. It says, two are better than one. Got that? Two are better than one. Woe to the man who has no companion to pick him up when he falls. Woe to that man who doesn't have a companion. Not because he might fall, he says when he falls. The fall is inevitable. We're, we're impotent, we're weak. But woe to that man who doesn't have a companion to pick him up. We need to find companion. We need to say, Lord, give me brothers and sisters in Christ that will fight for me when, when my impotence sets in. Um, I wanna just give a little story. I, there was this, you know, I love to be with the brothers in college. It was my salvation to be with the brothers in college. Um, there was, you know, different brothers. Some are like me. So I preferred others more. And there was one, I didn't even realize it. Maybe there was some annoyance, but I just didn't prefer. So we would do something. Sometimes we would get together to read or get together to play ball. 
and I wouldn't include this brother, not purposefully, but just didn't prefer him. I had this dream this one night and it was of him. And he was lying face down in a gutter and he was dead. And I woke up and I don't know if the Lord gave me that dream, but the Lord, I just felt like it was a word from the Lord. Do you want him to not make it? Do you want to see your brother die? And I just, I, I cried and I repented and we just included that brother. And I know it was a salvation because it's always a salvation. I hope we'd, we would have this fighting spirit to fight for one another. We need one another in the body of Christ. Okay, getting close. We're getting close, guys. Keep your wrist ready for a few more things. What do we do when we get together? Well, we need to do this thing the New Testament calls fellowship. Or opening to one another. And opening to say, hey, I need help. Hey, how do you need help? How can we help one another? It means we open. And in Matthew chapter 12, verses 10 through 13, I love this story. There's this man there with a withered hand, half dead, just crippled. And the Pharisees are like, Jesus, we're going to catch him if he tries to heal on the Sabbath. And then Jesus tells the Pharisees, which of you who have a sheep that falls into a ditch won't pick it up out on a Sabbath? And he points to the man. He goes, how much more is this man's life than a sheep? And that man, don't you think that man felt loved? And then Jesus doesn't just turn to him and say, hey, your hand's healed. He says, turns to the man with the withered hand. And, you know, our withered, you know, our weaknesses, we always hide them. We're ashamed. But he says, show me your hand. Show me your withered hand. And because there was the covering of love in that atmosphere, he trusted Jesus and he, he brought it out. And immediately it was restored just like his other hand, ready to function in Christ's body. Brothers and sisters, when we get together, we, we need this in our relationships with other members of the body. We can open to and get the enlivening and the healing. You know, I wish someone did this to me in college said, hey, here's some phrases you can use when you get together. And when the time's right, you say, hey, hey guys, I'm kind of struggling with uh, something lately. Hey, can, can we pray for, I just think, can, can we pray for me? I can't seem to break through in this area. And it's not a hindrance. You're not a bother. You're, you're, you're a blessing to, every, to, to everyone else. This is what the Lord wants. He wants us to sh share our life and share our vulnerabilities. Brothers, it's okay to be vulnerable in Christ, okay? So sometimes we can't get life and we need life, but life in John has a goal of the body of Christ. It's like two ends of one thing. Sometimes we can't get the life. Where should we go? Go to the body. The body is the repository of Christ's life. And if you just open, it will flood in. There's so many times in college I had these things, I hit a wall and I'm like, that's it, I can't get through. I pray, I pray, I can't get through. And then just the thought of, hey, I can open this to a brother. As soon as I had that thought, I didn't even say it to the brother, but there was relief. We need to, we need to take this as a secret. We need, to, we need to take this way of life and the body is our goal. Okay, um, this saves us. All right, we're gonna wrap up there, but we're gonna wrap up with three things we need to get really good at doing. Okay, guys, three things to not be impotent men stuck in 38 years, but be enlivened to rise, take up your mat and walk for the glory of God. Number one, get really good at coming to Jesus 
just as you are, just based on the Lamb of God. Not how you're feeling. You don't feel like it? Just come. You don't want to? Just come. Number two, we need to get really good at opening to other believers. Say, hey, man, I'm struggling. Can we pray? Hey, man, I know I opened this before, but can we pray again? Hey, I really need some help. The Christian life is not a lone ranger life, not to be lived on an island. Lastly, we need to get really good at taking Christ as life. He's made to be experienced by us. We need to come to him in his word again and again. Get the life. Okay, and, and over all three of these, we need to exercise to not have passivity. Like, uh, well, we'll see, we'll see if the Lord saves me out of this. Because those people around that pool, it says they were waiting. They were lingering. They're like, oh, just wait on an angel. But we don't need to wait. We have Christ who overcame death in our spirit. We don't need to wait to open to one another. We don't have to wait at all. So let us not be passive, but active to take Christ as life. Because he has a goal and he needs us. Okay, brothers and sisters, I hope you're blessed with John chapter 5. Case by case, this is us. Uh, may we all be blessed as people of life for God's goal in life. Okay.